scriptures, Exodus 22, verses 21 through 24. The rights of strangers, widows, and orphans. Exodus 22, verses 21 through 24.
and injustice is wrong. The word refers to specific aggressive and discriminatory acts. The discrimination that is barred is any act not permitted by God's word. It is one of God's making that is permissible, but the discrimination which is of man's making is forbidden. Israel is reminded of its own experience in Egypt, for we were strangers in the land of Egypt. Now this point is important, because this law is one that is very, very often used today in the churches in calls for immigration. We are told that here we have the legal precedent in Scripture for mandatory integration. This is a curious usage of this passage because the people who make use of it don't believe in the law to begin with. And they throw the law overboard at every other point, except where they find something to beat the people over the head with and they want to preach integration. Now, what is the reference here? Thou shalt not vex the stranger in all questions, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. What was their situation in Egypt? As a matter of fact, it was segregation, both in its good and bad days. Thus, when Israel first went into Egypt, for some time thereafter, they lived very happily and prosperously when they were segregated in the land of Joseph. An entire section of the country was set apart for them, not because they were entitled to it, but because here was some land that was not in use, and Pharaoh said, you can move into that area. The reason for giving in that area was precisely because Segregation was most desirable for continual relationships. The Israelites were sheep herders. And we are told that a sheep herder, anyone connected with sheep, was an abomination to the Egyptians. We've had that problem in this country. We had in the West during the last century and lingering well into this country, into the 20s, range wars between sheep men and cattlemen. They do not get along. There are still hostilities in some areas. And so Pharaoh put the Israelite sheep men into one area of the country, subjugating them. Israel was very happy with that arrangement. This was not the problem of Israel and Egypt. It was that they were enslaved, compulsory forced labor was required of them. Then, in order to eliminate them, all their male children were sentenced to death. Thus, the evil in Egypt of which the law speaks was not segregation. Their segregation and devotion was a blessing to them. The evil was a 
oppression. All precisely because this is law, it is limited. Law is always limited in its jurisdiction. It requires justice, therefore, for foreigners, not social relations. Thou shalt not oppress the stranger nor oppress him. You shall not commit aggressive acts against him, depriving him of justice, nor pass legislation designed to rob him of his rights. It does not call, therefore, for any kind of compulsory integration. It requires idea of compelling people to associate in spite of their personal feelings was as alien to biblical law as anything could be. Life then was family or clan life, closely knit. There was a great deal of hospitality for strangers. You recall Abraham leaving the strangers and feeding them. This kind of hospitality is commonplace. This kind of hospitality, let me add, was commonplace in much of the West for a long time and still is in many of the isolated areas where any stranger is entitled to help when he needs it from any rascal. But this does not mean that this entitles him to have any closer relations with him. You're in trouble in some of our ranching country. It is amazing how much help is forthcoming. Even to emergency housing to take you in, to feed you, to make sure you get on your way. But it's a serious mistake to assume that the next time you see these people, this entitles you to feel that they are your friends. Help to a person in need is one thing social relations, another. Life was closely met. Abraham, for all his hospitality to any and every stranger, his rescue of the Canaanites from the Babylonian captivity that they were subjected to, did not mean that he felt that there was any necessity to associate with him. He sent back to Sarah for a bride for his son. We are told, moreover, that this law is important and violations of it are very serious in God's sight. The law is placed immediately in Exodus after laws against seduction, against idolatry, and against witchcraft. And George Rawlinson, commenting on this, in the last century, wrote, and I quote, the juxtaposition of laws against oppression with three crimes of the deepest God seems intended to indicate that oppression is among the sins which are most hateful in God's sight. The lawgiver, however, does not say that it is to be punished capitally, nor indeed does he affix to it any legal penalty. Instead of so doing, he declares that God himself will punish it with a storm. 
three classes of persons particularly liable to yield class dark collected for mention, strangers, foreigners, widows, and orphans, unquote. The reason why God considers such oppression very serious is because it indicates that to all practical intent there is no law in that country. True law gives protection to all who are law-abiding. Where the weak are unable to get protection because they are weak, no law exists. If the law discriminates against any group, then it is simply class legislation, not law. If the weak are discriminated against because they are weak, or the rich because they are rich, then the law is an instrument of oppression. True law discriminates, but it discriminates against wrongdoers. The reason why no penalties are affixed to this law is because the law already provides penalties for the specific crime. That is, for theft, restitution, for murder, death, and so on. Widows and orphans are also included in this law. Now, it is important as we analyze this law to look again at the title, The Rights of Strangers, Widows, and Orphans. The term right is very common in our time. Various groups demand that they're right. But in a very real sense, there are no such things as right. I've used the word only in order to call attention to the fact that it is improper. The only right any man has is in a common law, God's law, which establishes right rather than right, so that whenever and wherever anyone is in the right, then he is in the church, then he has protection. The right of any minority group is precisely in a common law, not in legislation that singles him out for special privileges. The idea of civil rights or minority rights or labor rights or rights of capital means basically special privileges. The welfare and the defense of any and every man is in not the prevalence of rights, but in the rule of rights. Only when you have God's law, not class law, you have rights. Any order, therefore, without justice is an order in which there are no rights because there is no right. 
second order is then subject, according to our scriptures, to the judgment of God. One very leftist scholar in analyzing this law has made a very significant point as in comparison to the Code of Hammurabi. According to Dr. Wilder's dance, and I quote, what is uniquely stressed here is the immediate and dynamic role the God of Israel plays in this concern for and accomplishment of justice. He is directly related to the historical process and has not, like an absentee, entrusted his work to an agent, such as Hammurabi, who can play an independent role. Unquote. This is very much to the point. God says, I am the Supreme Court. He declares emphatically, If thou afflict them in any wise, and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry. My wrath shall wash off, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows, and your children fathers. You take advantage of the unjust, of the helpless, then your loved one shall be reduced to a similar helplessness. Over and over again, the law makes this point. For example, in Deuteronomy 10, 17 to 19, we read, For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widows, and loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment. Love ye therefore the strangers, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. The rabbi Rashi declared, The blemish which is upon thyself thou shalt not notice in thy nature. However, there is an important point in this verse. It does declare that where the courts are lawless, the supreme court of Almighty God must be appealed to. And if God declares, I will surely hear their cry. But the point we must remember is that the suffering of afflicted people is not the same as the concern for justice. There are many, many people all over the world today who are suffering. The injustices perpetrated by the various governments of Asia and Africa, as well as of the Western world, are very, very serious. But, those who are suffering may be as disinterested in justice as their oppressors, and is ready to persecute and oppress if given the opportunity. This is one of the things that caused the abolitionists so much grief in the last century. Incidentally, a great deal of the abolitionist literature is fraudulent. Many, many books were written ostensibly by rescued 
scripture tells us is that there must be an appeal for justice. An appeal for justice to Almighty God. An appeal not only for deliverance, but for justice. Where there is no appeal for justice, there is no interest in justice. For example, the 
trying with Pearl Harbor, I knew an Episcopalian clergyman, Japanese, who was doing graduate work in this country. He had been in the Imperial Air Force some years earlier, had served, had gotten his discharge, had been subsequently converted, had come here and had studied. He was among those who had been picked up. Of course, he was released almost immediately. They simply wanted to check on him. But what this man stated was very interesting. They knew more about him than he could remember about himself. They had so complete a file on his past history. Details of his military service. Every kind of association. Many had studied after. So that, uh, as he said, he was reminded of a lot of things he'd forgotten when they went through his trial. They knew all they needed to know and had the situation well in hand. The internment of the Japanese was purely political. And it was unjust. Many of them lost permanently. They never recruited their forces. Yes. The Israelites went to Egypt because the famine conditions that prevailed in Canaan. And they had a cordial reception in Egypt because Joseph was there as Prime Minister of Egypt. Joseph the son of Jacob. The latter part of the book of Genesis gives us this very moving and dramatic story. Yes. Good question. Is this country blessed for its help to the oppressed peoples of the world? I think in the past this country has been richly blessed because it has been, in the last century, a major help and a disinterested help to all the oppressed peoples of the world. Our reputation all over the world was extremely high. For example, the Boxer Rebellion in China at the beginning of the century. The Boxer Rebellion was a rebellion on the part of fanatical Chinese nationalists against all foreign interests. And there is no question that because China was weak at that time under the Manchu dynasty, many foreign powers were more or less running the country and taking advantage of the Chinese. When the Boxer Rebellion ended, the United States intervened with the power. We too had suffered many Americans and American missionaries had lost their lives there. 
that we intervene to prevent any exploitation of China or any carving up of China by the great power. We stipulated that there had to be reparations for the damages done. The restitution that had to be made, and that's exactly what we required in biblical fashion. The restitution that was made to the U.S. government, we then took and set up as special funds for scholarships for the Chinese to carry on all kinds of work in China for the welfare of the Chinese, and in every way made our influence as high all over the world with a strict sense of justice and the kindliness we showed so that the United States came out, uh, well, the world was amazed that even in a situation where we had been hurt badly, we showed such Christian forbearance as well as justice. The sad fact is that we exploited the power we gained by our past since World War I to interfere now in foreign affairs. We went into Korea with mixed motives very clearly. Our interference in Korea was very, very unhappy. First, we invited the invasion of South Korea after having unjustly surrendered North Korea to the communists. We have consistently interfered there. We have not really been interested in fighting communism in South Vietnam. If we had, we would have worked to overthrow the communists very clearly there and here. So, right now, our reputation is very poor all over the world because whereas once we took a part in foreign affairs in the interest of justice, now it is play politics in terms of an American foreign policy which is seriously destructive.
Please pick one up and read it. This is concerning our Get Acquainted Dinner on Saturday, March 7th, 1970, 6 p.m. at the Encino Women's Club. Please read it carefully and then let Edith Stafford taking off know of your plans to come so that we know in advance how many we shall have. We're looking forward to having you there and having a good opportunity for a social hour as well as a little program, apparently, that the women are planning. Yes.
the rest is becoming impossible. This is what happens under humanistic law. Well, our time is up.